like to welcome you to our next episode of Buddy Design. Today with me, I have Professor Rishi, who almost needs no introduction, but I'm going to have him um, quickly introduce himself. Yeah, hi Deepa, it's good to be on this show and uh, thanks for inviting me. So I'm currently the director of IIM Bangalore, but I've been a professor here for a little over 25 years. Uh, my main areas of interest have been strategy and innovation. Uh, in my work on innovation, I've looked at innovation primarily in the industrial and corporate sector. I've done studies at the level of the individual company, the industry, and at the national level as well. I've had a lot of interest in innovation policy. I've written a couple of books. I uh, spent some time outside IMB doing other things, like I was in a startup for almost a year. I also spent close to a year at the Indian School of Business as a visiting fellow. Uh, I was away, of course, for a few years also as the director of IIM Indore. But the sort of common thread running through this uh, entire duration has been my interest in uh, managing innovation. Uh, which resulted in a couple of books, uh, several papers, case studies, podcasts, webinars, whatever, a lot of different forms in which this interest has got manifested. And I continue to retain that interest even now. Absolutely. And Professor, I've had the opportunity to come and see your beautiful home and meet your wonderful wife and eat her delicious cooking. Um, you're very generous and someone who's constantly looked at making the connect with academia and industry. So you can help those of us in the industry with your learning, as well as bring us to talk to your students and bring that sense of, you know, when implemented, this is how, um, you know, these models of strategy and innovation look like. So thank you. I appreciate you having us over and certainly appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you, Deepa. Thank you. So Professor, uh, our Bari format, what we usually do is we start off with um, talking about an uh, individual's favorite book. But in your case, since you're an author of a couple of books, I wanted to talk about this one, The Eight Steps of um, to, to Innovation. And I've got, um, just bragging, I've got a personally signed copy. Whoa, where's the signature? Yeah, there's my personally signed copy of your book. Um, thank you for this. Um, while there's lots of aspects you talk about that are very interesting in this book, um, Rishi, one particular aspect I want to talk about is moving from an innovation program to an innovation culture. And as you know, I've had the experience of doing that while at Intuit, and now as Pensar, we go in to help our clients sort of bring that culture of uh, customer obsession, innovation, basically any transformational change that they wanna make in their own behavior or in that of their employees. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your perspective of what it takes to move from an innovation program to an innovation culture? Yeah, so our focus in the book and in a lot of our work has been on what we call building systematic innovation capabilities. Mm -hmm. where essentially what we are trying to talk about is how do you embed the whole innovation DNA uh, in your organization. Right. Uh, we believe that this can be done by creating a whole lot of different systems and processes which uh, help you innovate on a continuing basis. And that's what we have talked about uh, in our book. 
So essentially, we identified the three big challenges that companies face in managing innovation. The first one is uh, ensuring that they have a strong enough pipeline. The second one is ensuring that the pipeline sort of moves forward. In other words, that there's idea velocity. And the third thing we talk about is enhancing the impact of the ideas of batting average. And for each of these, we identify a whole set of different policies, programs, activities, which the organization can undertake to make sure that these get embedded within the organization. Wonderful, wonderful. I want to say, Professor, that, um, you know, we've again had the pleasure of working across industries to help um, you know, get this DNA in people's, um, you know, in their thinking, in their process, in their mindset. Um, and we call it design thinking towards the end of innovation. So you were talking about systems and processes. We talk about anchoring your mindset in and process in design thinking. Um, it often takes us uh, several months um, to go into an organization, understand it, and then start to see that cultural change happen. And, um, you know, we've learned from a couple of our epic mistakes. And uh, some of them were not having leadership alignment. Um, a lot of times, uh, you know, you need the same language, the same innovation language that all the leaders consistently uh, propagate in their teams. So we do a little bit of a tops down and bottoms up approach where we work with leaders, but we also work with frontline employees to help them teach, um, to help teach them the skills and the tools and the methodologies of really being customer obsessed. Um, the same aspects that you talk about in your eight steps of innovation, you know, starting with the discovery, getting to insights, um, defining the problem first and falling in love with the problem before you fall in love with the solution. But coloring outside the box is giving yourself the permission to go broad and then to narrow down. And finally, have the humility to um, test and rapidly experiment with customers. So you also talk about the similar steps in your book. Um, you know, eight steps, four steps, I guess it doesn't matter the you know, similar process that we use. Um, have you also experienced what we've experienced, which is you need the leadership alignment as well as the skill building and the two to sort of work in, uh, in sync for this transformation to happen, the culture to happen. Yeah, I'm sure there are many things that the leadership need to get right for innovation to happen on a systematic basis. Mm -hmm. uh, I can just mention a few that we found to be important. Uh, the first important role of leadership is setting the agenda for innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, we find uh, different companies have different strategies, they have different strategic priorities, and therefore the innovation agenda can vary quite a bit. Just to give you a quick example, if you take an organization whose uh, competitiveness comes largely from efficiency, mm -hmm. then a lot of the innovation is likely to be focused on better processes. Whereas if you're looking at a company that's competing on its technology or its products, then maybe a lot of the innovation is going to be focused on the product development or technology. So the first thing the leadership has to take responsibility for is identifying what are the strategic priorities and then aligning the innovation priorities to the strategic priorities. That's one thing I would uh, imagine is very important. 
Uh, the second role of leadership is to put the right processes in place. Uh, generally, we find that lots of people in organizations have ideas, yeah. but sometimes companies don't have the right mechanisms to help people share those ideas with the company. So the leadership has the role of putting in place the right tools to help people share their ideas and then also ensure that there is a fair process through which those ideas can be reviewed, selected, and taken forward. You know, in general, if there isn't a fair process, then people tend to get disillusioned, they tend to get demotivated, and they don't feel like sharing their ideas anymore. So that's another important role for the leadership to play. A third important role for the leadership to play is to make sure that the organization tolerates honest failure. We all know that innovation does involve a fair amount of failure. You're not going to innovate well if you're completely insulating yourself against something's going wrong. Though they will fail at times. And that's a very critical role for the leadership. If the leadership is going to penalize people who tried hard but still failed, then it's certainly not going to promote a lot of innovation in the company. Another role for the leadership is championing good ideas. I think many times you have people at different levels in the organization who come up with ideas, but they may not have the resources, they may not have the backing, uh, they may not uh, basically have the kind of uh, organizational capital that's required to implement those ideas. So that's when the leadership comes in to play a critical role in terms of backing some of those ideas which need support and helping the people who have brought up those ideas take them forward. I would also believe that the leadership plays an important role in putting in place the right processes for risk management. Innovation, of course, involves risks. But at the same time, there are many tools and methods available that help you manage risk better. So it's important for the leadership to get involved in uh, putting those in place uh, as well. Absolutely. And um, Rishi, I would say plus one on everything that you've said in terms of our experience. And I would add another one. Um, I think uh, leaders in this innovation age that we're in and when people are trying to build an innovation culture, um, sometimes leaders find the need to have answers to all the questions. And I think as leaders, um, you know, it's not about saying, hey, prove How many ideas did you explore before you came up with this one? What is the problem? Are you solving the problem? How does customers measure? How do customers measure success? And really asking the right questions more than having the answers. Yeah. That's been a tough one for us to coach leaders on because I think the um, you know um, a myth almost is that leaders need to have all the clever answers and um, somewhere freeing them of it to say you know you need to have the judgment to know when an idea is a good one, like you're suggesting. Uh, the support that they need to give. But really, it's the leadership style and asking the right questions versus having the answers. What do you think about that? I think that's become particularly important in this era of uh, digital and data because today it's so much easier to perform experiments and to see whether something works or doesn't work or whether something is attractive to a customer or not. See, there was a time when uh, data was not easily available. 
and at that time you had to fall back on people with experience in order to substitute for that absence of data so you needed the intuition of the leader to step in when you didn't have the possibility of having real data to decide whether something was right or wrong but that era is pretty much over in many industries now particularly in industries which are driven by digital and data so many people are now arguing that the role of the leader is no longer the decision maker the role of the leader is now as what they call an orchestrator of experiments yeah so the role of the leader is to encourage a lot of experimentation to demand to see the results of those experiments uh to you know some some companies even now have um, uh, employees uh, kras which include uh, the number of experiments you conducted or the you know, number of things you tried out every quarter so i think leaders need to emphasize a lot of these uh, new developments and they need to also see their role in a different way now got it and uh, rishi you also do a lot of executive programs where you have companies from across india coming to you um to get coached on um, being this innovation leader what would you say are some of the mind blocks or myths that you've had to bust for them i think in fairness i think over time there has been a sort of change in the way people look at innovation uh, you did mention uh, design thinking uh, in the beginning and i think many people now have been exposed to the concepts of design thinking they've gone through workshops so i think now the overall language and the sort of model and all that has become a little different i think people do understand that but i think it's still a bit of challenge a bit of a challenge putting that into practice uh, particularly this notion that you can design experiments to test things out and that designing experiments doesn't really cost all that much money and you could use those if you have a properly designed experiment you could uh, quite easily decide whether to include feature a or feature b i think these are things which sort of slowly sinking in uh, i think maybe it's a little more challenging in those industries where uh, digital and data is still not so widespread mm-hmm. but i'm certainly seeing in online businesses now that culture is becoming quite well embedded i mean people have got used to that idea and particularly if you look at all the you know zomatos and swiggies and olas and oyos of this world i think they are constantly doing experiments to figure out what are their customers looking for what are the new things they need to do so particularly in these companies and these the industries these companies represent we are seeing that kind of change happening so i'm fairly optimistic that a lot of the challenges we saw in the past are slowly you know if not disappearing they are at least becoming less important absolutely rishi earlier you spoke about um how leaders need to connect strategy uh the company strategy with that of innovation and have that sort of um you know combined very well um can you see a little more about it given that you know your um your academic career is really focused on those two aspects strategy and innovation yeah let me let me give you maybe some more examples i think that would make it clearer so one of my favorite examples used to be in the computer hardware industry 
So, uh, you know, at one time there was a very well-known company called Sun Microsystems. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't exist today, but it was, you know, one of the you know, leading producers of high-end workstations and a lot of people used to use them for high-end uh, computational work. And uh, the, this was on one end of the hardware spectrum. So Sun Microsystems used to spend more than 10% of their sales every year on R&D. And on the other end of the spectrum, you had a company like Dell, which, uh, sold, uh, which spent maybe less than 1% of their sales on R&D at that time. Yet both of these were competing in a broadly, you know, the computer hardware industry. Uh, now the, the reason or the sort of rationale for their R&D spends is, was quite simple. I mean, Sun Microsystems was building advanced high-performance workstations to meet the computational needs of the most challenging customers. And therefore, it was all about technology advancement, the next best product. So they were spending a lot in traditional R&D to try and push the performance frontier. But a company like Dell, that was not what it was really focused on. Dell was focused on giving you know, a, a user the configuration of a PC that he or she wanted uh, in a reasonably quick time, but at the most kind of the best value or the you know, best economic sort of price for that customer. So a lot of Dell's innovation was focused on, you know, build it to the customer's needs, uh, have a really strong uh, supply chain, make the whole thing very efficient so that your defect rates are minimum and you're meeting exactly what the customer needs. So they didn't have to spend a lot of money on traditional technology kind of R&D. A lot of their money was more on building supply chain efficiency. So th this is what I mean by linking your innovation strategy to what your business strategy is all about. You have similar examples across a whole range of industries where even within the same industry, different companies could have different strategies and therefore the kind of innovation they emphasize would be quite different. Absolutely. Thank you for that example. That makes a lot of sense. In fact, um, Rishi, one of the, our recent clients, um, a company that focuses on um, desktop security, your personal data security, um, and it's a technology solution, they went from customers thinking of them as a utility. You know, you needed to keep your laptop safe, so you needed to put that antivirus program there to really joy and confidence that we as consumers can live our lives, our online lives peacefully, knowing that we have this company in the back protecting us. So, um, you know, you're right to characterize what the company desires to do um, and the strategy therefore has to really sort of combine with then the innovation and what you spend and how you work on what problems you solve really well dovetails from that. Um, Rishi, moving a little bit off of the culture of innovation um, and going into some of the trends that you anticipate and you see, um, tell us what you are learning. You know, so one, I mean, there are multiple trends at uh, different levels. One interesting trend, which to me has both pluses and minuses is the way a lot of innovation is moving from the kind of traditional discipline-based R&D mm -hmm. to 
adoption of many of the new methods and techniques like ai and machine learning and you know, similar things now uh, clearly there is a lot of uh, attractiveness of many of these new methods many people see ai as not only a method of invention but a sort of you know a new paradigm in itself and therefore companies are really keen to capitalize on uh, these uh, new technologies that are coming in but what i i find to find interesting is that many companies are therefore reducing their budget in their traditional r&d disciplines and focusing a lot of their resources on using these new tools and to me this is a kind of mixed uh, blessing because on the one hand while ai and ml certainly promise a lot on the other hand we are not entirely clear about what exactly they are going to deliver uh, in some domains it may not be true in all but at least in some domains uh, secondly this whole reduction of emphasis on your traditional discipline may come back to bite you later i mean it's happened before uh, there was a time for example in the 80s and 90s when many companies in the us cut down their investment on traditional r&d and you know tried to move more towards copying or at least copying what they thought was the japanese model which was more focused on efficiency and quality and so on and after they had lost that lead in some of the technology areas they found it very difficult to re recover that lead later on so one of the trends which uh, i therefore have mixed feelings about is this sort of wholesale shift to using the methods of ai and ml uh, there's a lot of uh, you know data crunching that's going on without always understanding what exactly is uh, happening there's this whole ai black box and and i think it's going to uh, have some face difficulties in other ways as well for example regulators are beginning to ask you know what's inside that ai black box of yours the european regulators are already saying unless you can explain what you are using ai for you know you shouldn't really be using it in certain kinds of applications so i think the whole business of innovation is becoming more complex in that way uh, in in one sense the technology offers a lot of potential but on the other end it also becomes more complex intellectual property issues become more complex regulatory issues become more complex and i'm not completely convinced that uh, some of these new methods will deliver exactly what they promise so to me that's one of the trends at least which i'm sort of studying which uh, has you know a lot of both pros and cons associated with got it and um, rishi when you talk about traditional r&d what do you mean by that traditional r&d i mean uh, it's more the discipline based stuff i mean for example you know in a healthcare company you might be looking at how to you know design a better device or to you know better visualization or you know, you'd use optical imaging you would use no traditional physics and engineering based technologies and improvements no don't mistake me i'm not saying that you should not use data and ai and so on to enhance quality and what you're doing but i'm just worried about this huge shift which is no no all that stuff doesn't matter anymore now all that matters is data and ai that that is a matter of some concern 
Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we have um, a model that we call uh, customer-driven innovation, Rishi, where you start with, um, and this was something that, you know, was evangelized by Intuit, and my many years being there has sort of gotten me thinking that way. So the customer-driven innovation is when you start by finding a deep unmet need and that you solve using technology and find a durable competitive advantage. So you start with the customer need. There's the other way that you can approach it, which is with the technology. So, you know, whether it's AI or ML you're, or both, you say, I now have this ability to do this kind of innovation. Using this, how can I solve a problem? And that is sort of a technology-driven innovation. But I don't know about you, we mentor a lot of startups and um, we actually advise a few uh, accelerators as well. Um, when we go in and talk to uh, the entrepreneurs, we're good with starting with that technology. But the problem is not as many people as we would like spend time then defining what is that problem they're solving? You know, what is yeah. the job they're doing for their customer? Yeah, I think that's quite common. I mean, there's a typical uh, phrase we use for that, right? Solutions searching for problems rather than problems searching for solutions. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, um, the first question we ask and we become very unpopular just as soon as we do it is, um, you know, what is the problem you're solving? And sure. then we tackle something off and we say, but how do you know? And what is that difference? You know, how much are you moving the needle? Um, and most people- you know, but, uh, yeah, but I think the problem, I think Deepa, you know that very well, right? Because particularly from your experience in Intuit, you're not going to find those problems unless you really immerse yourself in the lives of what people are doing, whatever industry it is, whether it's B2C, B2B, unless you really spend a lot of time with your customers and in the market and just trying to figure out what people are doing, what are the pain points they face, you're not going to identify the right problems to solve. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the anecdotal, my aunt, my uncle, you know, my grandfather, uh, some doesn't cut it all the way, especially if you quit your day job and, you know, you're focusing on this as a passion area. So, yeah, um, you know, undoubtedly, we spend a lot of time telling people and teaching them the techniques of really getting out of the office, observing, talking to people and listening more than talking to people and observing to sort of, you know, define where their, um, you know, where their solution is actually solving a real problem for the customer. Um, Rishi, one last question I have for you is, um, you know, as you think about, um, you know, the cultural changes that a company has to make and you were giving us examples of, you know, how people have put in their case. I think organizations are dealing with failure um, the truth is none of us like to fail. And while we all say celebrate failure, it's a tough thing to do. Um, what in your experience has worked as far as celebrating failure is concerned? I think there are uh, multiple models you can follow. Okay. Uh, one model, of course, is to just explicitly recognize failure. Uh, the Tata Group has a nice way of doing this. They have an annual innovation award activity called InnoVista. And as part of InnoVista, they have one category called Dare to Try. Mm -hmm. Dare to Try is a team, is given to a team that 
took on a really challenging problem, put in a really good effort, but in spite of their uh, best, they just couldn't, you know, crack that problem. So this is one way in which uh, Tata's have figured out is a good way of uh, recognizing or at least acknowledging that failure is an important part of innovation. A second one is usually around uh, stories and myths. Mm -hmm. Uh, I find that, if, for example, if you go to a company like 3M, you'll often hear stories of lots of people who joined the company, struggled for many years, came up with a whole lot of wacky ideas that didn't work, but were ultimately successful. And so the company has done a lot to encourage these stories of these inventors so that people who come in fresh get this immediate sense that, you know, yeah, it's, it's actually, you can survive in this organization even if you don't succeed immediately. So that's the second bit. Third is, of course, related to the second one is all these legends and myths and all that. So, you know, I once heard this story about uh, a young man who is supposed to have joined IBM and he worked with the founder of IBM, Mr. Watson. And I think he was given a really tough project to do and he spent something like a million dollars of the company's money and it didn't work out. And the story goes that, you know, he went to Mr. Watson and told him, you know, I suppose you're going to fire me now. I just spent a million dollars, but we didn't achieve anything. And Mr. Watson is supposed to have told him, fire you, you must be crazy. I just spent a million dollars in educating you. We need to have the advantage of that education for the company. Now, you know, the point is not whether this actually happened or not, but the point is that these stories are told and it kind of gives that message to people in the organization that yes, you can fail and you can still be a valued member of the organization. So I think it's, it's things like this, which really help uh, convey that, you know, failure is kosher and it's okay. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that I've seen done rather successfully, Rishi, is people talking about what they've learned as a result of that, right? Yeah. Have failed experiments, but like you said, the learning is there for us to keep and share with others. Um, thank you so much, Rishi, for your time. The 30 minutes have just flown away as I'm talking to you. Um, I really appreciate your time and uh, thank you for sharing your views with the Bali listeners. Yeah, thank you very much, Deepa. It was a pleasure to be part of this program and I certainly wish you and your company and all your associates all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.